0: Welcome to Relatable AF with Heather and Steph. We are just two best friends navigating their self-help past, present-day issues, affinity for Real Housewives and pop culture, as well as other smart
1: girl shit. Let's get into this week's episode. All 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 right, so... We want to get started. This week is going to be our part 2 for our discussion about Rachel Hollis and we're going to specifically talk about timeline of events in the Hollis's life and business that relates to our experience, probably your experience and what the rest of the world saw. But before we get jump right into the timeline, we wanted to do a couple things. So first, Thank you so much for the support of the podcast. It's really meant a lot to us. Uh, The subreddit Hollis Uncensored has been such a big fan of us and posting in there and commenting about our episodes. And it's just very touching. And that is the community that has supported us through this journey. And one I am a big fan of, I know Heather's a big fan of, that is really helping each other trying to deconstruct what we all kind of went through. And I also know that recently there's been a new influx of people who, because of the Dave and Heidi stuff that's happened recently, that are now starting their own deconstruction journey in the subreddit. So it's just one of those spaces where, yes, they're snarking, but there's also just a really helpful community of people being very honest and vulnerable about what happened, their experience with the holosys. So love the subreddit. Wanted to give them a shout out. So Heather, anything else you want to say? Yeah.
0: If you guys uh, subreddit or not, anybody else who's listening, if you guys have liked this podcast, we would really love it. If you would leave us a review wherever you do get your podcasts Um, to that end, we wanted to give a shout out to a review that we got that really, it was really sweet getting these in and uh, seeing the impact even from people in my personal life, like reaching out to me, um, it's just really warmed my heart and it's made it a lot easier to be vulnerable and provide you really good content. So this was uh, left by Robin uh, at Robin underscore unbothered on Apple podcasts. She's been a follower of mine for a while. lover to death. Uh, she said, as I was listening to Heather and Steph chat away, I felt like I was truly part of the conversation. I was literally talking to them as I was listening, LOL. I was also feeling like if I opened the Webster dictionary next to the word transparent, I would see a picture of the two of them. Definitely worth the time. I appreciate that so much. Um, we'll be transparent to the extent we can, <laughs> but, um, yes, thank you exactly. guys. Thank you guys for the support. If you want to leave us a review, it would be super helpful. It's my understanding that that's kind of how people find you. It's how you start to like, um, get on the new and noteworthy on different podcast apps and, and uh, more people can find the content.
1: Yeah. And I think it's helpful because it tells people kind of what we're about and what their experiences with the podcast I always like reviews for that reason. It's like, yes, the person wrote really good copy about their podcast, but the reviews are what the people are saying. So we really, really appreciate those. It was a really great week. So thank you guys. Um, All right. So we're going to get into this timeline. And before we do, we just want to throw out some content warnings because obviously we're talking about people's lives. So there are things that happen in this timeline that we just want to be sensitive about. And that is I'm talking about self-harm miscarriage and racial and social injustice. So there will be some instances where we will touch on those topics. So we just wanted to put that out there in advance in case that is a sensitive topic for you and you need to, you know, move along and, and not listen, which we totally respect. And that's why we wanted to put that out there. So the timeline, I, created a Google sheet. That is 154 lines of things that I could find publicly about Rachel and Dave and their history. And I want to start kind of at the beginning. So Dave was born, um, his birthday's coming up, so I don't know if he's going to listen, but happy birthday, Dave. It's his Dave, his birthday's Valentine's day. I never knew that. Did they talk about that? Yeah, so his birthday is Valentine's Day, according to the internet, which does not mean it's accurate, right. but according to the internet, his birthday is February 14th, 1975, and Rachel is January 9th, 1983. So that is a eight-year age gap um, for the two of them, which I only think is interesting because when I look at the timeline of their childhood, like Rachel was like in high school when he was in college, like he was working full-time by the time Rachel left her town. So it's just like when you think about that, they are different head spaces, but basically Rachel was
0: born. I I do think it's noteworthy because if you meet when she's 22 and he's 30, that's a much different situation than 19 and 27.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. So basically she's born in, um, Lamont, California, which is right outside of bakersfield california and it's very rural remote um i think she says she lives off weed patch highway um it does seem it's,
0: for those who aren't familiar yeah. i'm from california yeah, bakersfield she, yeah is, you're the california girl <laughs> yeah bakersfield some not me some have noted it as the armpit of california it's a very I've actually litigated cases in her area. It is very rural, very politicky. um it's very interesting. it's it's if you if you could pick something like Southern and put it in California, it would be very close.
1: Yeah, and I don't mean they, that
0: in a derogatory way, that's just generally like it's very rural.
1: Yes, and I uh finding information about their childhood that wasn't their own story was very difficult, so I will give that context of all we really know is what Rachel has told us, which like in her last podcast, she talks about not always having food sometimes or I don't know it's very um hard to nail her down, but it does seem like if she didn't come from money, her dad was a pentecostal pastor um and then when she was fourteen, she has an older brother and two sisters who she doesn't really talk about too much anymore, but when she was 14 and this is the content warning. So if you need to move along, we're going to talk about self-harm 14. She finds her brother, Ryan um, has committed suicide and she finds the body. So obviously very traumatic. It's something she writes about often. She speaks about often because it also changed dramatically changed the her household and how she was living in that household. And basically from that point set her sights on getting out. She had to get out of where she was um, and away from her family because of how they were handling everything.
0: Yeah. It Um, seemed like a very, you could imagine her, the situation she went through the situation that her parents went through situation mm -hmm. that everybody had a different experience with such a traumatic event and so everybody was dealing with very a very traumatic issue mm-hmm. for themselves. And I think Rachel goes on to discuss how her parents weren't necessarily very there for her after that because of what they were going through.
1: Right. Right. It's like, sounds like no one was really handling it well. And when you're a kid, you're looking for help. So it makes sense. And notably enough, in that same year, 1997, Dave graduates from Pepperdine University, And he has a bachelor's of arts in organizational communication. And as someone with a hired background, I do know that Pepperdine is a private university and seems kind of, I didn't look at the admissions criteria, but it seems a little upper level, like a little more competitive to get into. Is that right? You probably know California better than I do. Yeah.
0: Pepperdine is a very, um, in Malibu, it's very, the way I was telling stuff is it's, it's kind of like the way I view it, it's like Malibu beach, Barbie and Ken kind of go to a fancy school. That's kind of like what it feels like. Very. It's not to say it's not a good school. It's it's great. It just feels that way.
1: Yeah. So that's, I obviously didn't go there.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's just my resentment speaking.
1: (laughs) I mean, it does sound nice. I know. It's kind of like when people are resentful about like USC and like, yeah, but USC sounds nice. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But yeah, I'm like I I don't know. I wouldn't mind a private school in LA. <laughs> if I could afford it, I probably would have wanted to go. So, that is he graduates, he when he was in college, I think this is interesting this all from his LinkedIn, but he was a research corner coordinator at 20th Century in the International Television Department. Um so it's like he kind of already had an in in the industry in college, which if you know anything about internships in colleges and those connections, they can really help you after you graduate. Right. Um, they can really advance your career. It's um, it's one of those things as someone who worked in higher ed, it's a privilege of higher education is that network um, that right. can open up because of being in higher education, which um, tra- tangentially, sorry. I am recovering from COVID. So I have brain fog. So if I fumble a little bit, please have some grace. I'm making it. But but tangentially, Rachel goes to LA right out of high school. I think she starts some kind of school in LA. It's really hard to know. There's no information on it, but then leaves school in LA to be an executive assistant at Miramax. So she... She also moves to LA to be an actress too, which I think is an important point that I did not know. I didn't know she wanted to be an actress. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I will probably, we'll probably do a podcast on this later down the line, but I am learning that a lot of popular, popular influencers that you follow that then sell you coaching have theater degrees like Gabby Bernstein. She has a theater degree. Um, So there, there are, there is a theater through line with a lot of people that you're following, including myself. I did theater. So like I don't, there's a, you know, I recognize it because I did it too. I mean, right. I only did it in high school, but you know, still, um, and I'm a background actor. I'm in the arts. This, <laughs> this is true. This so is I'm, true. I'm so
0: credited here. <laughs> so credited. The IMDb is pending. It is
1: absolutely pending forever. Anyway. So back to their timeline. So she gets the job at Miramax. Dave, out of college is working as an account executive for Merv Griffin productions. Uh, this is his second job. His first job was a junior publicist at Bragman, um, Nyman. Caffarelli. Um, reference
0: the timeline. We're not going to be, we're not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'll, I'll this put stuff. this out there. Yeah. It's on his LinkedIn. If you want to go look at it, but then he's going to know you looked at it. That's the only thing I don't like about LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. It lets, you know, someone looked at your profile, but so he, this is 2000. She is 18 and Dave in 2001 becomes the assistant brand manager for Miramax. That is how they meet in 2002, a year later, she is 19 and he is 26 when they start dating at Miramax. So then in that same year. Dave takes a position in Minneapolis as a national sales manager for the home video division of Walt Disney, which sounds so hilarious now because home video doesn't exist. Right. Um, But he was was over there trying to save the sales in 2002. And that is notably when the breakup happens, if you want to talk about that, because that's in the book. And I'm not as familiar with the breakup.
0: Right. So Rachel... Discusses her the beginning of her relationship with Dave in I think it was Girl Wash Your Face and the dynamic between them, especially given the age difference, he wasn't necessarily introducing her to all of his friends as his girlfriend, and there was this disconnect between how she viewed the relationship and how he viewed the relationship, which she then comes to realize. Uh, she makes reference to the fact that he she was basically his booty call where she to him. Rachel was his booty call. Whereas to Rachel, this was like her serious boyfriend. Notably, this is really important to me for context. This was Rachel's first relationship. Right. This was her first relationship, the first person that she had dated. Um, And so according to her. This is true. According to her. Um, So she comes to this realization and decides, I need to break up with Dave as he's in Minneapolis. And then at some point, I don't know what the timeline is between her making that decision and him showing up at her door, but he shows up at her door. They embrace. And, um, the it's, she's the exception to, he's just not that into you is the the end of the story.
1: Yeah. She gets the guy. Right. She goes from booty call to girlfriend to wife, which is, Um, an anomaly in a lot of situations,
0: most situations. situations.
1: So, yeah. And like you said, the timeline, it's really short. Like on his LinkedIn, he, in May of 2002, he was in, oh, no, no, no. In January of 2002, he was in Minneapolis by May. um, He's back in LA. So it was a couple months and then, but then he comes back. So pretty interesting. He gets a job at Mattel and Motorola as an account coordinator. Oh, no, no, no. This is Rachel. Oh, I'm conflating timelines. Oh my goodness. We'll edit this out. So Yeah. Okay. So January, 2002, Dave is in Minneapolis. He comes back 2003 and he comes back as the new business development um, director for Walt Disney. And then Rachel at the time in 2002, while he was in Minneapolis, she changes jobs. That's when she tells the story about Miramax was letting people go. And this is when she kind of was able to grab an opportunity to do events. Although her LinkedIn says she was an account coordinator for Mattel and Motorola at Ogilvy and Mather. But the story she tells is kind of, she
0: just got to go into an
1: event's kind of adjacent position. So
0: interesting. And I don't know where on the timeline this lines up, but when my TikTok was going around with Rachel, there was an event planner who commented that, I don't know if it was that Rachel had worked for her or if Rachel had just ripped all of her content and put it on her own website. And I, I assume it's probably around this time um, as Rachel's building up her. And that's all allegedly, and I, don't, I haven't um, verified that information, but it was a comment that somebody left.
1: Yeah, because if you go to her LinkedIn, there's no mention of her ever working for an event company. Which- so like This is o- Ogilvy and Mather with Mather, which is advertising.
0: Which is interesting because her first book, Party Girl- was based off of a girl who goes to work at an event planning company. I don't think, Steph, you haven't read her fiction books, right? Mm-hmm. No. Don't don't make those faces like there's something wrong with people who have. Just kidding. Well, I've <laughs> heard they're good,
1: actually. I just haven't read them.
0: Yeah. So um, her first book, Party Girl, which was the first in a series of three, was based off of a woman who went to an event planning company, like one of the best and then she's treated like crap. And then she leaves. It's very, the devil wears Prada, but toned down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then starts her own event planning company. And it's my understanding that that was all like based on true life events. So it's interesting that we don't really know who, in fact, I know it was because she references at some point, the fact that the people in the book, The celebrities referenced in the book were actual real life celebrities that she worked with, but the names were changed and she wouldn't give an indication of who those people actually were.
1: Interesting. Um, So I made this timeline, but I didn't actually Google some of these companies. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I keep finding these nuggets of privilege and it's so infuriating. So Dave comes back in 2003, Rachel in 2003, it becomes a brand coordinator. Did you
0: just find out what Disney is?
1: DIC Man. Entertainment? Oh, I no, I just found <laughs> out that DIC Entertainment is under a Disney wiki because they're part of the Disney family. And that's where Rachel got a job in 2003 when Dave came back to L.A. and they were back together. Rachel got a better job from her
0: boyfriend at the time. Or at least that's what it looks like.
1: Yeah. From what we know, from what we can piece together. And we didn't say this at the top, but the reason why this timeline is important is because of how much information they leave out in their own stories. That is important to know if they are going to sell you advice, like Rachel's going to sell you business advice. But her last job before she started her companies was a job her husband I don't want to say got her, but probably connected her
0: for the same company. It's for the same company.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. Like arm. Yeah. It's DIT entertainment is an arm of Walt Disney studios.
0: As we're recording this too, a recent podcast just came out where Rachel admits to the fact that it took her, she's been an entrepreneur for 20 years as of, you know, current events, 2022, but that for the first 10 years of her entrepreneurial life, she didn't make money. And so these nuggets are important because it pieces together the fact that she was able, Dave has these good jobs or making good money. She makes reference in there that she never had to worry about going to target. She never had to worry if their bills were getting paid. They had enough money to do that. Um, That's important when you're talking about, when you're talking to aspiring entrepreneurs, or when you're talking to moms who don't have the ability to go to Target and buy whatever they need for their families or have a nanny to come in and help, um, there's a lot of the, the privilege uh, uh, speaks for itself. But the ability to take, um, and I'm coming at this from a mother, as a mother <clears throat> and an entrepreneur, but the ability to take mental load off of you at any particular time gives you an immense head start. Cause you're able to be prepared the next day. And there's a lot of people who don't have the ability to take their mental load off because they don't have enough money. They don't have enough privilege. They don't have enough help. They don't have support systems.
1: Yeah. And that's just like, that's one Sorry, arm. That of was it. a tangent. No, the other arm of it that I see is when I was doing freelancing for social media, if I had an injection of capital, of 10,000, even, I mean, I I could have front-loaded a very nice social media agency because I could just pay someone to make my website. I could pay someone. I could pay this person to be a video editor. I can pay this person to do copy. I can pay, I can hire a lot of people to outsource things so I can move faster.
0: Right. That's, I, I heard a TikTok recently that said, you know, what people without money don't realize is that money can buy you time. Absolutely. Money can buy you time. And so if you can outsource all of those things, if you have capital to front load a rise event because you want to do it, but you don't have the capital, but your husband can give you the money. It makes a big difference in the trajectory of your business.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And a lot of businesses are red. And so, and a lot of them have to close because of that, but if they are given that if they had the time and they did have the safety net, they might have turned profitable. So she acts like her results are solely because she worked hard, but it's also time and money was on her side. Right. Getting back to the timeline. Uh, so Rachel founded Chic Events. It's spelled chick events, but I will say chic because that's what it's supposed to be. In January of 2004. And then gets married in May 29th of 2004. So a couple months later. And to me, it's notable because it's easier to get benefits and support when you're married as an entrepreneur than being, you'd say, the girlfriend, right? Right. And then this, as we know about her business, which I don't have this in the timeline because It was kind of all over the place in terms of sources. And one of the things you're going to notice in the timeline is I made sure to cite my sources, even if it was the subreddit or some other blog or anything of that nature, a YouTube video like Savvy's YouTube videos, Savvy Writes Books. So it's hard to pin down like when these events actually happened. But her event company during that time was doing major events for major celebrities very quickly. And the only way that happens is her network. But, and I want to give her a little credit because she did work at Miramax. She did work at an advertising agency and she did work at DIC Entertainment. But I don't see her network that separate from Dave's, especially when he was a publicist he managed Destiny's Child at one point. You know He was very much, not only did he have the network, but as a publicist, he was using the network. So he's very adept at utilizing his network for publicity. That's part of being a publicist. So for her to start an events company and instantly get large clients is very notable.
0: For me, discussing this straddles a very thin line of, making sure to credit her because i do not want to credit dave with something that rachel has done because i think one yes. it's it's misogynistic mm-hmm. and two it lends credibility to her argument that all of the haters that she has are just misogynistic yeah and i so i don't want to do that but pretending like dave did not have some Even if it was just financial backing or financial stability, pretending like she did this all on her own without any support um, is intellectually dishonest.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think that is the point. It's not to say her husband did everything for her, because to her credit, she does work hard. She works so hard, she tends to have health issues. But it's one of those things where, you have to recognize that you have access and you have to recognize your network because say for me. Like my husband helps me. Like I, it's same. a wonderful, it's a beautiful thing about marriage. It is, but the way she presents is not that she had anything. It was Google search. I just have a high school degree and a Google search. It's like, no, Rachel, you had a lot more than that. Um, so it's just kind of, but I will also say to her credit, every article that you find about Rachel being an event planner talks about how stellar her events were. And if you look at her blog, they do look really nice. And if you think about Rise, Rise was really well done in terms of um, just the visuals, like the, the event piece, not so much the, the content. And the, pieces. Yes, exactly. Like what a celebrity would want an event planner to do, which is make it look absolutely unrealistic for other people <laughs> like, and so to her credit, every article talks about how good she was at that. Like she was very good at that job. So that's probably why she got more, more and more and more. Cause I'm sure they're passing around recommendations, but to have a publicist for a husband, I mean, who has a publicist background and has a network. I mean,
0: I, Hey, I, w- I would want that too. If I had an event, company. I mean, I can like, speak from experience it's smart. on this, I can speak from experience. My husband is one of the most extroverted, kind, great people I know. And he is constantly drumming up business for me. You were, you were in an accident. You got to call Heather. Like it's, it's helpful for my business. And, and in the same vein, when you've got a person who's in the middle of LA with those kind of connections, it is going to be, you're going to have a leg up in getting into the event planning space.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So that, so she's doing events, seems to be enjoying that space, and then has her kids while she's running her event company. So 2007, Jackson is born in January, so he just had a birthday. Rachel is 24 at the time. Dave is 31. And then in 2008, Sawyer is born, uh, Rachel's 25, Dave is 32. I will go on record and say that that sounds awful to have kids that close <laughs> together in age. I mean, I, I don't know like uh, if you plan it, but it doesn't sound great. And I do cite an article later where she does, uh, when her bikini pic went viral, she mentions she struggled with postpartum. And um, I can see that. It-
0: yeah. I remember having Sophia and she was like, my daughter is Sophia, five months old. And somebody came up to me and said, You know, when my daughter was this age, I found out I was like four months pregnant or something. And I was like, I was so sleep deprived. I just remember going, I, I, I don't know how I could survive. Like, I, I'd just break down. Like, every day I would wake up crying that I'm going to have to go through this again.
1: Yeah. And while I love this my is-
0: child, I love my child. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Babies and while lot. this was happening, Um, Dave is slowly just moving, not even slowly, pretty quickly moving up at the ranks at Disney to senior vice president. So he's senior vice president of his division that he was in, which was new business development for Disney. And in February of 2011, they purchased a $1.4 million house in Glendale, California, which is absolutely fucking gorgeous. Like It's just so nice. It's on like 0.6 acres. It's gated. It has a pool and a spa and a gym in the bottom. It has an outdoor like cooking area and patio cover, like out, like almost an outdoor living room that is separate from the house. It's not even attached to the house. It's It's really nice. So they bought this house. And I only say this because I think about dollars and money. They bought this house on his senior vice president salary. So they could afford this before he was president
0: of theater distribution like at Walt Disney. A 28-year-old, because yeah. we're mostly focused on Rachel here, a 28-year-old yes. entrepreneur who has two babies is able to avoid, afford a $1.4 million home. Like it, in Glendale. Mm In Glendale, California. Yeah. A beautiful home. Um, and hindsight being 2020 today, we know that her business wasn't making money. So it's, it's just notable because I think Rachel does provide this, especially now that she's starting to discuss finances, this view of the struggle that she had her entire life. And it does not look like her adult life was much struggle. It's very hard to see it when you look at this timeline and the the income you have to have to purchase a $1.4 million home is pretty substantial.
1: Yes. I think- like proof of income. Yeah. Proof of income. So it's probably all off of Dave's salary. Right. So it's just interesting uh, yeah, in light of her now talking about finances and manifesting in finances, it's like, okay, it's easy to manifest money when you live in a $1.4 million
0: house. I manifest my husband to come home with another Louis Vuitton. Like, I'm just going to manifest. Yes.
1: I'm and not gonna again, do again, Heather and I would never um, turn that down. Like, no. If my husband wants to. Buy a $1.4 million house. I am all for it. Like, let's go. I would buy that house in Glendale. It was cute. One bathroom was really poorly decorated.
0: But other than that, it was, that. Pretty, it was wallpaper. It's fine. You can get it down. The but, problem that I have with it 100% is my husband, my husband is the breadwinner of our home. He also only has a high school diploma. But same. He, same. <laughs> he is the breadwinner of our home. Um, But I'm not going to turn around in five years and say, let me show you how to build a business to multi-million dollars because it's not, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. And that's what she's done essentially.
1: One data point. And I think this is what we're trying to show about how dangerous it is to take advice like that you're actually going to implement in your life in a big way. Mm-hmm. from someone who is speaking from one data point. Cause her one data point is this. Now we're not negating her childhood. You know, no. it does seem like her childhood was not wealthy. It was not um, what she obviously wanted or
0: desired, but seems like it does... they were living off of a church, a church yes. income.
1: Right. Right. And not like a mega church, not because no. people make that comment too. Like, well, churches can make money. Yes. No. It seems like it was a very r- think rural, local kind of church. So it's just interesting to see how I don't like this narrative, but how much Dave like really impacted her situation.
0: It's it takes out the risk. That's what it does for the most part is it takes out the risk. Again, you can fail a lot if you don't depend on the income. Um, If you're if succeeding is not required, failing is fine. Right. There's no well, risk,
1: and you know one of the big risks for me about self-employment was insurance. And a lot of people don't even think about that in America. It's a big issue. It's a it's a big stopgap for a lot of people
0: becoming business owners
1: because it's very expensive to have your own health insurance.
0: There and are months when that's the only income I have is the benefit that I, my company <laughs> provides to me.
1: Right. It's, yeah. So again, those are just some of those things just to add perspective to the risk conversation. And especially for, we do have some listeners who are not in the States, which made me very happy when I saw in the demographic. So just some context, that's one of the impacts of us not having, and we're not going to get into a political discussion, but we don't have any kind of universal healthcare. So right. insurance is a key part of employment for a lot of Americans. So- all right. And then shortly after, so they buy the house in February, a couple months later, Dave becomes president of worldwide theatrical distribution and Walt Disney studios, which he has arguably said was the easiest job because they had just gotten Marvel and everyone wanted the Marvel movies. And that comment always makes me cringe because it's just so like a privileged white man to say his job is easy.
0: Well, and To his credit, his job was selling movies to theaters. Yeah. Theaters in order to operate have to have movies to premiere. Right. And if all Dave is doing is and he makes it, I wish I could find where he says this. If I can, I'll link it in our Google doc. But there was a, a moment where he's like, yeah. And some of my, you know, sometimes we would go back and try to get, more money for a movie after we realized how much better it was going to do than we anticipated. So like his job was negotiating, renegotiating contracts that were already negotiated. Like, and a lot of, I have personal thoughts on that as an attorney, but that's, that aside, (laughs) that aside. aside.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So he gets the big job and, you know, Rachel's still doing her events. I couldn't find when she really starts the blog. Um, it's around this time because yeah, so she, she's just kind of momming it hard and then doing her events. Ford is born in 2012. She's now 29 and Dave is 35. And then right after I'm guessing right after Ford is born, it's all in the same year. Ford is born in July. She mentioned mentions a boob job. So I imagine that happened in the fall because she would need some space between delivery. And yeah. So she has her boob job. She writes a post about it. Um, She gets a lot of interesting comments about it, but that's just society in itself of, we just have a hard time. Well, and I think at the time her circle was pretty Christian. And so the thought of a boot job was, you know, what are you doing? That's, the body God gave you and you're superficial, which I think is why she talked about it. So Rachel writes about her eight-year anniversary. And so at this time in 2012, it seems like she really started shifting into blogging and writing. She's a contributor for Huffington Post at this time. And she's writing some very interesting articles that I found like how she doesn't like the term girl boss, because why would we qualify ourselves with the word girl? Like Dave doesn't do that in his big job. And then she also writes at um, her eight year anniversary. She writes what she's learned. And so I want Heather to do a YouTube video reacting to this at some point. So hopefully we will, but so she's writing for Huffington post. She's writing content. She's putting herself out there as this like entertainer, hostess who's a celebrity event planner that's kind of how she pitches herself in the online writing space to that accord in 2013 chic events turns into chic media this is also the same month Hollis Co Media is founded a month later Rachel is featured on Disney Channel in a clip about doing a Jake and the Neverland pirate party I throw that in there just to show the parallel universes like you do have some advantages right. of your husband's network, which is okay, but you don't talk about it. Right. And this is also 2013 is also when they start the adoption process. And she starts writing her book because her book, her first fiction book, party girl is released in 2014. So a lot hap- a lot is just moving. So she's got young kids. She they're, talking about adoption because they want their baby girl because they didn't get their baby girl. That's the whole thing about adoption, which why so many people have written about their response to how Rachel talks about adoption, because it's a very privileged viewpoint. It's, um, there's a lot of shaming,
0: some parental shaming and choice shaming there. The discussion that she uses in girl, wash her face about the parents that a lot of people draw parallels between her discussion of her own use of alcohol and people have uh, referenced her use of anxiety medication. Though I had specifically thought she said she didn't use, like she did not want to be on that at medicine. Um, but people have said, she said that she was versus the children that she was fostering at the time and their parents and their use of alcohol or whatever else, uh, whatever other, uh, uh, drugs or medications that they were on. It's, it, it, it's the white savior privilege, um, like othering the foster children's parents. But like, for me, I'm going through this and it's okay for them. It's not right. Right. People have called and that very problematic.
1: Yeah. it, it there are all thematic so. pieces to it. And I just thought it was interesting because there's a couple of things doing this timeline, reading her blog about the adoption process, I noticed. One, they wanted to do international, they had supposedly, you know, a daughter picked out in another country, which, um, as someone who was a member of Southern Baptist Church and was very in evangelical circles when I was younger, between kind of 15 to 21, you know, Compassion International is a big organization that is adjacent. And it's a lot of like adopt a kid in another nation and help them every, like you pay so much a month to help them have food and access to education. There is a big focus on helping. People internationally and not nationally, that always kind of was weird. And so I'm not necessarily surprised by their decision to start with international first, because it's very common in those smaller evangelical circles.
0: I think it's the, what I can draw a parallel to here is Jen Hatmaker, because Jen Hatmaker had effectuated an adoption internationally and they had gone on a trip together. Um and I don't know if we've included this in the timeline or not, but the and by we I mean stuff because she put all of this together. But um that's where Rachel got the idea for Girl Wash Your Face is Jen Hatmaker on a trip when they were in Ethiopia. Jen Hatmaker gave her the name of the book. So um she 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 was using Jen Hatmaker as this like uh, guiding post. Right. Writing light. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm going to try to speed this up here. So like I said, this is 150 points, but basically she's writing her fiction books at this time. This is 2014. They're deep in the adoption process, which sounds wildly stressful. Mm-hmm. This is also when she shares the 3% story. So I think we have like parallel things happening in the Hollis world. She's quickly trying to be this online influencer, mommy blogger, she's heavy in that space, trying to really push, push, push that while she's writing her fiction. And then at the same time, going through an adoption process, both sound equally stressful. Seems like she had an opportunity. She's kind of vague in her post about it. People have speculated different things of what it could have been that Dave tells her she has a 3% chance of succeeding, being successful.
0: Yeah, so I, I thought yeah. it was specifically about the idea of starting a media company. That's she what my so
1: her blog and Rachel repeats stories, so I'm sure there is a another iteration of this story somewhere else, but the original source is this blog post where she talks about her bracelets and her, she has a 3% chance bracelet. And she says that a couple, uh, like a couple years ago, she got it. So this is 2014. And she says she got it a couple years ago. Oh, interesting. When she had a big job opportunity and Dave said she had a 3% chance of getting it. But when I looked at her resume and this is not to shame her, I'm like, I don't, I don't know these jobs well enough to know if any of these jobs are like a big jump for her. They, they all they all have coordinator in their title, which is usually significant of entry level, but doesn't mean that it's not competitive. because entry level can still be competitive. So I didn't know if it was the DIC job, maybe, and he would know because it was part of Disney. So she writes it as if it was a big job opportunity, but even sometimes in business, you're up for opportunities, and so it could have been that, like pitching her book or starting the media right. company, like. You could still phrase it as a job opportunity, but it's like a job opportunity within your company. Um, so it's really not nailed down in the blog post, but I'm sure she repeats the story because they repeat all of their stuff all of the time. And that she keeps writing books. So she does another fiction book. This is the funniest thing to me that she is named on Inks 30 Under 30 in 2015 but she is 33.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting.
1: Cause it's like on her LinkedIn. Um, she puts it in her bio cause she's very proud of like how she started a business in her twenties and it's growth. And that is all a credit to her, but it just makes me laugh that she was except not under 30.
0: I agree. Except if you The benefit that we have right now, I I sincerely apologize for those who are watching on YouTube, the (laughs) amount of movement that is going on with my computer and my dog's walking in the background. Um, The context that we have today and looking at what we're looking at, we know now that her business was running in the red for the first 10 years.
1: Right. So it was the story she pitched.
0: Right. How are you 30 under 30 if, I mean, you could have all the success in the world. You could be making millions of dollars. If you're also, you know, spending millions of dollars, you don't have a successful business. You have a hobby, as Rachel would tell you. If you're not making any money, it's a hobby. It's not a business. So it's yes. very interesting that the, I don't know if this is a result of um, creative storytelling on her behalf to get people to buy in or if it's like a lack of memory. I don't know. Right. Right.
1: It's hard to know, but yes. And also I think it, it plays into what I want people to know about the influencer and publicity space, which is if you have access to the right contacts and the right people, it's easier to get on these lists. That's how you get on these things. You have to like put yourself on their, their radar. You get on their radar with other publicity, you get on the radar. And that is all she is ever since she started the media and the blog, it's very obvious. And a lot of, um, women that I know that were in the blog space. And I have a friend who is in the cookbook space too, at the time, because she did some cookbooks too, which I didn't put those on. I put one on here, but I don't think I put the other. She has two cookbooks. They, and talk about how she was constantly trying to do things to go viral. She was doing things for the press. She was doing things to get noticed. and then she and, and that's how this happens. That's how you get on these lists. You have to do a lot of pitching to Forbes and other magazines and things to get media to get yourself on these lists. So she gets on the 30 under 30 at 33. It's so funny to me. And shortly after this, This is the same around the same time. Her bikini picture goes viral, and so it's on Good Morning America. It's being shared. I mean, it goes super viral. It's like true definition of viral. We kind of overuse that word now, but back in the day, this was like true viral. It was everywhere, and so she was primed for the opportunity because she went viral, and instead of you probably noticed this on TikTok, but some people go viral and you click their profile and they have two videos. They have no bio. They didn't mean to go viral. There wasn't intent or purpose, but Rachel had went viral. And then you went to her website and she had a blog and she had writings and she had relatable content and she built like that helped her business. And so I always think that's fascinating to look at in when people go viral is like, is this person going truly viral? Just like had nothing going on and then went viral or did they build to that? And Rachel definitely built to that.
0: Right. So, and that when Steph and I were discussing this in preparation for this podcast, we found some other videos, which are interesting. Oh, that, that I didn't put it that, on the timeline, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah. When Rachel decides that, Party Girl is going to get um, another book in its series, I think, Um, or maybe it was Party Girl itself. I don't I don't remember. She's got a like two and a half minute long magic mic spoof of her like dancing. I think the intent was sexily, but I don't think that's necessarily how it's it's very cringy, but it's it the regardless of the content of it, it, it maybe makes it look where this bikini photo and also this magic mic, um, spoof, it looks like her intent was to go viral. Like she knew what she was doing and she's also credit where credit's due. She's good at marketing. That is where her um, in my opinion, her true uh uh talent lies is in marketing. So yeah. not PR. Yeah. Not PR, not PR, marketing. Marketing.
1: <laughs> I will say, okay, so I looked it up. That video was February 5th, 2015. So literally a month before she was doing this like clickbaity content, trying to go viral, and then she goes viral off of a bikini. And I will say that's as a social media manager, that is the irony in situations, is put a lot of thought and intent and content to make it good and get a lot of views and clicks and nine times out of 10, the videos that go viral are not intended to go viral. And that's what happened with Rachel too. In some regards, the bikini right. pick was from a vacation um, and they just, she just kind of threw it up there to be relatable. And that went viral. Um, one thing I think is fascinating about the bikini picture is that she doesn't mention her boob job. Right but the focus was on her tummy and i will you know credit like that um but a lot of people have pointed out too that she still had thin privilege like she still had skinny privilege she was still very skinny um so there was some even in posting it there was still some criticism of like it's easy for a picture like that to go viral <laughs> like because of what she looks like um but yes, so that was that. And then they that same year, they're ending the international adoption process. It didn't go through. Um, at the same, This is what I think is interesting. They end the international adoption process. She writes a blog about why they fight two months later. Why her and Dave fight. It is now deleted. But if you click the link, you can see the title. It just says this doesn't exist. I will say they scrubbed. Rachel scrubbed some interesting things from her blog, but she kept right. a lot. But what she chose to scrub is very telling, like that article. And right after that article, they then start foster parent classes and they begin the foster parent journey. Smart girl book launches. They do their interviews. They're approved to foster in 2016. Notably, they asked to delay it because she was working too much and they had to go on vacation, which again, is that privilege that they had in the adoption process. They And then she writes a lot. And I think a lot of people had a hard time with this too. She writes a lot about accepting kids and then having to return them. So they had like a sister pair that they got placed with that was quickly given like into another placement. So that was their first placement. It was very short. And then they got the twins, which it's really hard to know the truth of what happened here. There's a lot of, conversation about DCFS and their behavior, but the only Rachel is telling the story. So basically they accepted they were placed with twins that they were told were abandoned. This is from Rachel's perspective, but then they were asked to be removed about, uh, I think they said six weeks later, because they're going to the fam- they were going to the biological family, which didn't add up to the Hollises because they thought there was no family.
0: Right. The the issue as she posed it was that they were, because they had gone through this foster process, they were one of the only families that could accept two foster children. And that was a, yes. that was a shorter list than somebody who could accept one. So keeping the sisters together was an option. As Rachel tells the story, they were asked to adopt, or I'm sorry, to foster these twins and that they were available for adoption because they were abandoned and, then six weeks later, as Steph said, they they are reunited with the father and she never sees them again. And this is a very difficult time because they were very she she even now talks about like her happiest moment and is having those babies on her chest. Like this is a very crucial part of her journey. But she says after the six weeks and they were taken back, she looks back in her phone and it looks as if CPS attempted to contact her for a foster placement, but they were not interested in fostering. They were only interested in fostering to adopt. So that's the blame that she puts on CPS is like, were we were they uh, deceiving us so that they could give these kids at home? But it was right. a very critical, crucial t- uh, part of her timeline as she write- as she tells it.
1: Yes. And she and they tell DCFS, like, take us out. We're done, like take us out of the system. So they get out of that process. At the same time, she releases a cookbook. And then notably, this is very, very important to note in Rachel's life. When she goes to Tony Robbins events. So in November of 2016, she goes to unleash the power within, which I've been to the virtual one. I did it in 2021. She goes with her team, her, her little team. That's like for chic media at the time or Hollis co-media she's running both at the same time. So it's hard to know. But I think she calls it chic media.
0: Yeah. It and, wasn't Hollis until it moved to Austin.
1: Right. Right. But she says it was established at the same time. It's very, her LinkedIn is very confusing, but mm. the business filings, I think are a little more clear. And when she, in this timeline, when she goes to Tony Robbins events, things change. Quickly. She also takes a lot of his stuff. So she goes to Unleash Power within November 2016. Oh, December is when she writes that article that she doesn't like, Girl Boss. <laughs> Just funny. And then she, Dave, does the private adoption agency paperwork. And I will say, if you look at her old articles, she writes nothing but flowery, very nice language about Dave. Granted, she has deleted the, arg- the articles where they fought, so I don't necessarily know what she was saying else about him, but she gives him a lot of credit for following through with the private adoption agency, being very supportive. Um, she has another Post article where she says the MVP parent, and it's about how wonderful Dave is and how she thinks about all those wonderful times and how he doesn't meet the stereotype of a rom-com, but like in the middle of the night, he goes and gets her like a Gatorade if she's when she was sick, as, when she was pregnant, you know, things like that. The small things that make a big difference. So she does notably write very positive things about him, but they go private and they get Noah within like two months, three months. And they were there at her, Noah's birth, they were there with Noah's birth family and got to spend some time with her. And so that's happening in their personal life. But she went to a Tony Robbins event. So, you know, some big things are cooking. One, Rise Conference, June 2017. First Rise Conference. In Austin. Austin. In Austin. And as someone who's been to both, her conference looks a- is set up a lot like Tony Robbins. Very similar, very similar setup, very similar themes, like past, present, future kind of stuff. Like you got to do it. It's very similar, very much uh, same problems with both conferences from a therapeutic standpoint of your opening traumatic boxes that you are not clinically trained to close, which I understand from the therapy world is. One of a big, huge piece of their training is you don't open boxes that you can't close in a therapy session. And they do a lot of
0: that. I have to note this because it was so funny. I watched when it came out the Tony Robbins, I'm Not Your Guru uh, documentary. And in that, he talks, one of his very notable sayings is he'll pick somebody out and it's like, Who did you crave love from more, your mother or your father? And at the RISE conference in person that I attended in Dallas in 2019, she did that with the attendees that would stand up that she would talk one-on-one with. Who did you crave love from more, your mother or your father? And perhaps a trained therapist can use the data from that information and and make an an assessment on that person. I don't think Rachel Hollis is the person who is able to take that information and do something meaningful with it.
1: Yeah. Again, opening a box and also... She doesn't even know what she's doing because it's Tony's technique. So does she even And really she wasn't in proximity it? to
0: Tony? She was like at this point. No, she, she just doesn't attended. Have a, yeah, she doesn't yeah, this have is, any proximity this to him. Is her, she's, her idol, her her everything.
1: Yeah. And like you said, you received some allegations that she took her event stuff from her a previous company. And so there is kind of a pattern of she sees something, she parrots it. Like she's right. very much a parrot. Like
0: Someone I'm going to take in this
1: information and and plagiarism? spit it back out. Plagiarism, copying. Plagiarism? Um, there's, whole, yeah, I don't know. In my head, I just now I'm going to envision her being a parrot because she literally takes things in and then repeats it back out. It's like not really a lot of originality going on. And of course, so she does the rise conference but she has to start a podcast too. So she starts the podcast. That's when Daya start. Like it all, it's all starts around the same time. This is when chic media officially ends. Um, this is when um, I have something in here about marriage advice. Oh, that's the marriage advice video. That's when that gets put up. So now they're starting to talk about their marriage publicly. Um, they're starting to put that advice out there. And then so she spends 2017 really ramping it, it, ramping up doing events, ramping up her media company, ramping up her profile. And then in January of 2018, her and Dave go to Tony Robbins Business Mastery.
0: So in Florida, I think.
1: Yes. And. What's interesting is her YouTube video about what she learned is private, which I'm like, do you not want us to know because you copied him? Maybe. maybe, maybe, I don't know. Or was it requested to be taken down? Cause you gave out so much of his secret. I don't know. Who knows? It's hard to know it's private, but so she goes to business mastery girl. Wash your face comes out. They sell their house. Dave leaves his job. I feel like they we got to stop for to a second. I feel like
0: February 1st girl, wash your face comes out. That's a, like that is huge. Ca- she is now that to me is the capitalization on the prior media exposure. Oh, absolutely. This is the capitalization and, and the this rise what, conference. Yeah. This is what launches it out. This is, yes. this is my information that I'm giving to you because I'm your best friend we could, we could live next to each other and I would give you this information.
1: Yes. I also think it's notable that her publisher is the Christian arm of HarperCollins.
0: Right. Which is why chapter 19 was such a fight because right. the LGBTQIA+, which is interesting to me because it's not, she must've edited the hell out of that if she thought that that was in any way like a nod to that group of people because it's not provocative. It's not that But that's my own, like the fact that you say, like, you love who you love. Like that's about as far into LGBTQIA plus as she gets from my recollection. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. She she wasn't talking about prop eight. No, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it wasn't going going hard. Um, so yeah, so this is when everything escalates. I mean, by the end of May, they are in Texas of 2018. So they go to business mastery in January and in five months have completely changed their whole life. Um, just for fun. Cause I like numbers. They made about like $1 million on the sale of their house in Glendale. <laughs> it sold for 2.5 million in 2018. So they moved to Texas. They start their podcast together, rise together. They do the made for more documentary comes out. Right after they start their podcast, and then this is when Heather meets the Hollises. So I'm going to let Heather take over the timeline because I've been talking for a really long time.
0: So Rise Together starts up. I remember listening to the first couple episodes of that podcast, and it was like literally them like in the car, and they're even commenting on the fact that this audio is going to be crap because like it's horrible. They're recording on the floor of their um, of their closet. Uh, the made for more documentary. Wait, gets released. wait, I'm sorry, but I'm calling bullshit on
1: that. She had a podcast for almost a year prior, but they had moved. Oh, so that was the chaos. It was the move.
0: Yeah. The move. I know, they didn't I have... Mean, we
1: have a podcast. We're on episode three and I'm already like, okay, I need a new setup. I needed this new equipment. Like <laughs> she was doing her own podcast for a year they're in media. They've been in this. I don't know. I know. I know. It feels like a relatable. Maybe. Like, maybe. Look at us. It's so cute. We're on a drive. I will say Chalene Johnson does that, but she doesn't apologize for it. She'll do like driving podcasts with her husband that I think are really cute, but it's like intentional. It's like, oh, we're doing a driving podcast.
0: The thing from what I remember, they purchased a an old church with cash. They referenced Dave Ramsey. And so that Dave Ramsey would be so proud because they purchased this old church building with cash. And that's where the Hollis company was going to live. And so so they were, you can tell like five months, they go to business mastery and now they're moving to Texas. And so this is a very rapid timeline. So, and the problem that Steph is pointing out is that Rachel has lost um credibility in a lot of what she said because of how she has acted, so it is very difficult to look back and go, if all I have to base this off of is your words, do I believe you? so fair enough um the made for more documentary was released in August of two thousand eighteen. I remember purchasing it and watching it actually I think it was on it was free on Amazon if you are an Amazon prime member, I remember watching it and uh it was it was interesting that people would pay to watch it. It was sold by the Hollis's as this like, if you can't make it to rise, just watch made for more documentary. It's like Rachel Hollis presents made for more. I think it's what it was called, but it was really just a really long pitch for you to go to the rise conference. It wasn't like, here's the information. It was like, this is like a really long vlog of what it looks like to go to rise. And so it was drumming up. Um, like I, I think probably looking back, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go. Cause it was like, I can't get the experience by watching this documentary. Um, then the, uh, the bane of my existence, the September 2018 rise together event in Austin, which was limited to 200. The tickets were $1,800. I still remember watching their live stream from that conference. And they they were very heavy um, uh, emotionally when they were discussing this event and like on break for it. I remember watching those videos. And then after the fact, they discussed that this event was extremely hard for them to put on. Because of the emotional toll, a lot of the men in the room did not want to be there. Um, there were people that were, you know, pending divorce, there were people that were trying to get pregnant. There, there was a very big variety of people there. And of course, neither of the Hollises, to my knowledge, take any accountability for the fact that part of the reason it was probably so hard is because neither of them are actually credentialed or qualified to speak on marriage. It's not, it doesn't have to do with the emotions of the people that are coming in the room or the situations that they're in. It has to do with the fact that you're speaking again, as Steph has coined from a data of uh, data point of one, like you, the only thing that you have to base this on is your last 15 years of being together, not even married. Um, I'm going on 14 years married. I can talk to Steph about our marriages and compare notes. My husband and I do not have the ability to get up on stage and coach people through their marriage issues because a lot of them we haven't dealt with. I haven't tried to foster kids, I haven't gone through miscarriage. It's my understanding that Rachel hasn't either. Like there's a lot of infidelity, like there's a lot of things that happen in relationships. That not everybody experiences, which is why you want to go to someone or get advice, advice from someone who is credentialed, uh, qualified to give you that information. Which is part of the reason why so many people have such a big issue with this rise together couples event that they held. Aside from the fact that they then years later, adv- uh, you know, say that they have been having problems for years, which included this September 2018 date. Um, the Hollis foundation then is created in September of 2018. Notably the Hollis foundation is a private charity that they started, which they promoted the fact that 10% of all of their proceeds of the Hollis company would go to this private foundation. It was not something that people could donate to. They said that over and over again, do not send us money for this. It is our fund that we use the 10%. It's basically their tithing. Is what I got from it, and they used the money as they saw fit. Um, that information, to my understanding, wasn't public. Um, so then you've got a, a November entry for the criticism of "Girl, Wash Your Face" from BuzzFeed. Yeah.
1: yeah. So they it was basically talking about how bad her advice was in the book, and how bad you know, like a lot of the people that we see even in our in the community and Reddit and. On TikTok and in the YouTube comments, like people who sniffed her out right away and now they're like coming back just to see how things are going. So I put that in there to say, like, you know, as we talked about in our first episode, it was there. Like the information was there that of how, like, there were people who were calling her out and were calling out her behaviors. You know, obviously Heather and I weren't aware of it, but it was happening as early as her
0: first book. Um, I don't know so. that I would have listened to it if I was aware of it, to be super honest. Right. I think I was indoctrinated at that point. Notably, too, if I say that word again, I'll probably I need to stop. Notably too, um, there was a YouTube video that I caught a couple years ago of a Christian woman who had placed the book in her cart at Target to, to like go to the checkout. And God told her to take this book out of her cart, that it was not in keeping with her religion and the Christian community was extremely upset about yeah. the contents, like the, the, the more fundamentalist Christian community. So yes. she
1: had of her, of her loose use of scripture right? and religion and Christian and findings. religion
0: itself. Yeah. Yeah. And so religion. she had criticism from both ends of the spectrum.
1: Yes. And then right uh, after in January like there's a pretty thorough piece that picked up some steam about how she was constantly putting her name on her Instagram quotes that were plagiarism.
0: So as 2019 comes to a close, I think it's, it's notable. It's worth taking a look at the fact that 2018, remember her first book, Girl, Wash Your Face gets published in February. It doesn't make the New York Times bestseller list until i want to say like may um it it takes a while to get steam behind it but once it does it is everywhere and as you roll through 2018 you see this ramp up ramp up of Rachel Hollis's social she's gaining a lot of publicity people that's again that's how i fell into all of this it's like it's getting shared it's getting circulated So she starts to gain a lot of momentum and so does Dave. And again, continuing on, they started when they went to Texas doing the morning show every 30 minutes in every morning, Monday through Friday at like 6 AM Pacific standard time, Um, which fit in great with the fact that she promoted the last 90 days, getting up an hour earlier every day. So everybody had time to watch the morning show because you got up earlier. Um, and of course the morning morning show was just um just another data uh what did you call it? Touch point. Touch point that she, that in, the, used, in the parasocial mm-hmm. that she used to to get people into the 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 funnel. Mm-hmm. Um so in March of 2019, Girls Stop Apologizing is released and the buildup for that book was really intense because girl, wash your face. The momentum was dying down and people needed another hit. Like, I hate to compare this so heavily to like drugs and, and, and the, like that, uh, euphoric feeling, but the problem with motivation generally is motivation does not last. It is momentary. Um, I like to say momentum is better than motivation because momentum keeps you consistent um, mo- motivation, you need to keep getting, keep getting the hits. And so when girls wash her face, I'm sorry, when girls stop apologizing came out, it was her audiences further, like, oh, I got another, I got another bit of it. Um, and that did well, that almost immediately, if not immediately hit the New York times bestseller list. Um, she was also approached by QVC to do a clothing line. I think there was a couple seasons of it. Uh, it was an interesting pairing. I don't think people saw this coming. Rachel is not known for her aesthetic or her clothing. In fact, no. she's pretty vocal about the fact that her clothing, yeah. like her choices in clothing are very off from the general person's clothing choices. Yeah. Um, so it, it was an odd pairing. I bought a shirt. It wasn't, I, I really didn't care for it. Um, the, I, I only bought the one thing that I would thought I would like and I didn't even, and it was plain, but it didn't work for me. Um, but maybe it worked for other people. Um, moving forward, the Hollises in 2019, it was their 15 year vow renewal. And what was, what they established in their marriage is that every five years, they would do a vow renewal ceremony. And the first one I think was in front of friends and family in LA. I don't know how the second one played out at 10 years, but the 15 year vow renewal that they had was in Ireland. And they went to like the cliffs of Moore in Ireland with a, a priest or something and um, had a very small intimate, just the two of them and, a, and a, a some kind of officiant doing a vow renewal. They were in Ireland. They did a half marathon. Um, they had a lot of, they, they did have this huge long vacation um, that was very, publicized. And that was the last like real break they were going to get before they were entering the season of the Rise Conference blast, right? Um cuz Rise Minneapolis tickets I want to say sold in January of 2019 and then in February Rise Dallas got um got released and that's the one that I went to. Yes, and
1: what I think is interesting too cuz I didn't do, this could have been like a 300 point timeline. I didn't do the digging to see every event that she spoke at, but this is when she is speaking all the time. She now talks about it as if the men in her life were advising her to do all of these things. So she didn't say no, but she was speaking at all of these MLM things. She She was growing her speaking portfolio, which is really what you kind of have to do. If you want to speak on the really large stages, you have to start the speaking circuit to then get the larger stages, which is what she wanted. And
0: it was one of her goals was to speak on Tony Robbins stage.
1: Yes. And all I remember is when I found Rachel, the reason why she was relatable to me is because she talked about being burnt out from that travel. And I had been burned out for my career. So I was like, oh, I'm going to learn from someone who has been through burnout and then maybe has found like a better way, but still building a successful business. I mean, obviously that's not how she operates, <laughs> but I remember that story being so relatable. Like I remember her talking about how she was on the road almost every couple of days and how she was missing things with her kids and missing this but it was going to be worth it it was going to be worth it it was going to be worth it so that's what's right. happening during this
0: time right and then the uh she gets her dream she gets her dream uh in august and october of 2019 she flies up to canada and speaks on tony robbins stage now What's so funny to me is after the fact, there is a podcast recording of her shading Tony Robbins, in my opinion, she talks about how she finally met this person and she spoke on this person's stage. And it was somebody that she looked up to for a long time and he wouldn't even acknowledge her presence. And she goes to Dave and says, If I ever act like this to somebody, like, I want you to tell me, I can't believe how rude this person was. Like, it was like she found out, like, all the mythical creatures of our childhood aren't there. Like, this is...
1: Hey, guess what, Rachel? We have a community of people that are deconstructing. If you would
0: like to Yeah, join. if you'd like to join, <laughs> download the podcast, leave us a review. Um, if you too have been harmed by a self-help guru. So it's just, I mean, this isn't like Neverland isn't real. I don't know. Like it's not it, it everything comes crashing down. So it was that was very, very interesting. And then Steph also notes that in October of 2019. Heidi notices Dave Hollis on social media. He comments and reached out to read a copy of Dave Hollis's book that was coming out at that time, get out of your own way for a book endorsement.
1: She's got a lot of speaking gigs. Lots of this. I remember her saying it was like she spent more way more time away
0: than home. And so you think that led to reaching out. Dave reaching out to Heidi? I didn't say that. Okay.
1: I just said that That Rachel's out of town that Rachel's out of town and he's asking, and I guess I don't know Heidi. So I didn't know she had any kind of notoriety or street cred. I didn't know about the show. I didn't. Um, at this stage in my life, I was pretty sure that any show that was trying to do drastic makeovers was pretty disgusting. So I had pretty much checked out of all of that. So I didn't know that she existed. I, I didn't even know that she was married to Chris. I remember Chris from the biggest loser or one of those shows. I like caught him right at the end. And I remember thinking he was nice, but I saw so many problems with the show um, so I, so in my head, is she someone you would reach out to for us to promote your self-help book?
0: Feel, it doesn't feel like the best fit and the fitness influencer.
1: <clears throat> Cause I, I really feel like that's her niche as like niche. fitness influencer. She's not, well, she's pivoted, I guess maybe in 2019, she was starting to, I don't know when she started to show up. I don't have any of Heidi in this timeline. Cause again, not. Germaine, really to the story of the Hollises until way later, um, but she starts show up at some point. So she does kind of pivot into self help. Show up area. is a conference that
0: she's now promoting as a in person three day event. Yeah, notably, Rise was also an in person three day event. But at some point, she promote starts promoting Show Up in the past couple of years as an online, yeah, program program course. course.
1: Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I that's my own. And Heidi
0: says that. I only read like a couple chapters, and I gave him a book endorsement. One, One chapter. chapter.
1: W- think about like the that- source here. At, just so everyone knows, for those of you who aren't going to do any further digging, the source here is Heidi's YouTube channel. <laughs> Heidi has right. a video detailing all of this with dates, not exact dates. Well, some exact dates. Um, but that yeah, just she- kills
0: me. That kills me.
1: She's um, very good at that as the subreddit has discovered,
0: (laughs) right? Um, Anyway, around
1: back to to old Rach
0: (laughs) around this time is when rise business starts getting discussed Mm -hmm. and promoted because they were teasing out. Also, they teased out the fact that they, while they weren't going to do another marriage conference, they were intending on doing either a workbook or a course, or something that couples could do and use because they know that the marriage conference was so great, but they didn't have the energy to put it on again, but they know that the content was good. So they were teasing this out that they were going to do something, but no one, like that never came to fruition. Thank God. But they did say something else is coming. And then that's when Rise Business gets... Uh, the, the headliners for Rise Business were very big in the space. I mean, you've got, um, Ed Milette, Brendan Bouchard, um, the, Marie Forleo, can, Marie I Forleo saw her on the ad. Yeah. Um, Amy Porterfield, the, the rise business event was promoted as like the, if, if you, you could go to all of these individual business conference conferences put on by all of these individual people, but Rachel called in the big guns for this event. This is going to be a yearly event. These people know what they're talking about. They've got business acumen and they're going to teach you and you get it for the bargain price of like, the VIPs were five grand, I think. And the tickets that I bought, I want to say were like $1,200 a piece.
1: Hey, hey, Rachel, someone else does that. His name's Tony Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) That's one appeal that I have about business mastery of Tony Robbins is that he brings in like, you know, Sarah Blakely, like, I mean, she made like, come on, you know, like he brings in really, really big names. And then it's funny that she uses the same copy, the same description, like the same, same playbook. It's like, he pissed me off. So I'm going to show him I can do a business conference. But at that point, he hadn't even pissed
0: pissed her off yet. Not when she started promoting it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. But, but, she did hold back all the names until later times. And it looked yeah. like in some instances, she traded event for event. Like she had already determined that she wasn't going to speak on anybody else's stage. Oh, right? That was right, one right, of right. the things that she determined. The only other stage she's going to speak on is Tony Robbins and then it becomes Oprah. But that yes. she wasn't going to go do these conferences anymore. These MLMs. But at Rise Business in Charleston, she does decide that, like, I'll go, I'm gonna go speak at Amy Porterfield's event in San Diego, but she's gonna come speak to mine. So I think that their costs were probably lower on the the speakers because she was doing that trade. But the Mm. tickets were outrageous. I ended up gifting my tickets for this event to somebody. So I didn't sell them, I gifted them um, to, I wanna say it was like a nonprofit. Um and or sorry, no, no, nonprofit. Was, I hope I hope it was good for you. I think <laughs> I, I hope I you got some hope, good things from it. Yeah. Um, I think it was two separate women who were attending. Um oh, and I said the only thing I really want is the book, like just so that I can get the book of materials. I never opened it. What is so three percent chance is created around the same time in November, um, which is what now houses the podcast. The podcast's um. And then Queen B. Ray LLC. I'm not sure what is housed under that LLC. Nothing. They just, at the,
1: it, at that time, I so when you look at business filings, they, during November.
0: She decide, really wants to be Beyonce.
1: Well, what's funny is they, they basically create these LLCs to brand their lives. So she has Queen B. Ray LLC. And then at the end of the month, they, do DH for life, LLC. So I don't know what, and they're doing 3% chance. So I don't know what they're setting up for. My only thought, my other thought is, and this is not ethical, but is, are these personal LLCs for, you know, some form of use? Hello. This is my dog. He has joined the podcast. If you're on YouTube, you can see him. Um, He said, we're talking about (laughs) queen bees and I win. I win. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I just thought it was very fascinating what their intended use was for those. They're very personally branded.
0: It, it is worth mentioning that at Rise Dallas, she, Rachel makes, uh, again, that's the one that I attended, Rachel starts discussing the fact that she's writing a screenplay that's like dance moms style movie and she casts one of the people in the audience and says, you're going to be in the movie. Um, and that, yeah. So I don't know, maybe some of these LLCs are for that. Um, yeah. It's very, it,
1: I didn't do enough digging to see like if I could find what category they were registered under, you know, I have to pick yeah. your code or what your codes for registering and things like that. Um, What's interesting is in Texas, if you want business filings from the Secretary of State, you have to pay. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't pay. Okay, I didn't pay. Awesome. I should. It's very fascinating, but so- yeah, that all happened around Rise Business too. But it's also Dave has his book coming out, and they know he's preparing to be an author. So is that a brand for him as an author? Is that a brand for her writing a screenplay? Um, is it? You remember,
0: rise business is where she says she could sell you her dirty socks, and you'd buy them because her name is on them. So maybe this is like maybe they were going to combine the dirty socks of 2019 with the American flag socks of 2021 and create a DH for Life Queen B Ray uh, sock line. Sock line, but. Up and until this point, as Steph just mentioned, Dave is preparing for his book launch of Get Out of Your Own Way. So Dave, prior to the Hollis Company, is not a social media figure. He is not. I think he probably used it, but not in the capacity that he does today. As Hollis Company becomes uh, more public, the RISE conferences are taking off the books. Now they're doing morning shows together, 2018 um, uh, 2017, 2018, really picking up, he starts branding himself and he decides he's going to write a book based off of, you know, all of the trauma of not knowing that he could run with long legs. And it's a tough, it was a tough life. And I, I, I we joke about that because he's like the hardest thing, you know, I was told I couldn't run. And then he finds out he can run. And it's just like, women who are breastfeeding and trying to, you know, go back to work after like postpartum depression are like, man, I man, you know, thank God I have this white man to explain life to me. Um,
1: but I think that's he, very indicative of Dave though. Like he doesn't think very deep. Right.
0: Well, it's and, like he gave the
1: first example in his head and it's like, okay, you're writing a book. Maybe you could have dug a little deeper. There's is there really no pain there? You really don't have any deeper pain than this. Like that is, he's like, oh, I'm just going to say whatever sound, whatever pops into my head. I'm going to say, instead of like a good quality filter there. Right.
0: So he was at that time, CEO of the Hollis company. And in December of 2019, he becomes COO chief operating officer and Ray resumes ray is what he calls rachel hollis resumes the position of ceo that she requested that he requested she resigned from when he came on to the hollis company something we didn't talk about when they created the Hollis company and he left disney he told her if i come you need to give me the ceo position and she did this you know pro con list and she was very conflicted about it and ultimately said if he was going to go to a different company he would be CEO. So if I'm asking him to come to mind, that's the title that he deserves. Also, I don't want to do the work that involve that is involved in being the CEO. I do want to be more creative. Mm-hmm. So it, they end up it ends up working out for them until it doesn't, until they can use it where it doesn't. And Dave steps back. I had someone reach out to me that advised that this was not necessarily the move that Dave wanted. This was not the that it was. <gasps>
1: Dave did not want to not be CEO anymore.
0: I can't believe that. Right. So we're entering 2020. We're entering 2020, and Dave is now being forced to step back from CEO in anticipation of his book tour. His tour tour. Right. This is pre pandemic. Book tour is going to happen, and. Then it, you know, gets canceled because of the pandemic. He still does virtual, but he does not resume the CEO position. It's my understanding that there was some conflict within the company, within their personal life, perhaps. I don't know with regard to that. But Fort uh, Rise, Fort Myers, and Rise Toronto happened early 2020, pre-pandemic, and that's just a continuation. There was discussion at that point from Dave and Rachel about the fact that they needed to revamp some of the content because people that were attending rise in 2019 were coming back in 2020. Again, there's no book coming out. So they need, they they need the additional hit of motivation. They need that sense of community, that sense that they're not getting, they need it again. Um, so really, really big event. Rachel is asked to speak on Oprah's stage Oprah's having the 2020 vision tour. And I remember hearing this and thinking, wow, she really made it. She's, she's manifested this. <laughs> she's spoken about it so much. She wants to, yep. you know, speak on Oprah's stage and she gets one ticket. And Dave assumes he's going to be the ticket to come. Yep, And there's a very public discussion and story about how she told him, what do you mean you think you're going to come? I have a uh, gay black best friend that would be much better served enjoying this experience than you would. Like, of course I'm going to take her. Which the tone of the conversation was not something that I would think is um appropriate uh, it, it felt <laughs> right. like if i were if my husband were to come to me and say you've got this amazing opportunity i cannot wait to join with you to watch you do this i would be like oh you are as excited as me i wouldn't say like you think you're going to come to my like amazing opportunity and witness the great things that i just accomplished and what made it even more bizarre is she has a youtube video discussing her discussing her, um, going to this event. And not only does she bring her best friend beans, she brings other friends. There's like four or five of them there. Yes.
1: There's a couple, there's a handful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it wasn't just the one ticket. And I just remember thinking like, you couldn't ask, you asked for all of these one more well, they, and they had the means they have the like he could have bought one. A ticket. He could have
1: yeah. gone on the trip. He could have bought a ticket. Like he could have been there. My husband, if I told my husband, Hey, Heather and I are going to go speak on Oprah's stage. I really want you in the, like it, I would want him there.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, and that was the tour that she spoke at the one that Michelle Obama spoke at. Are you right. kidding
0: me? Right
1: yeah like if I'm gonna have a chance to meet Michelle Obama in the back in the green room, like I want my
0: husband there right. when people look back and say like it was all there, they're not wrong. so after Rachel speaks on Oprah stage, she does do that vlog type style vlog <laughs> video yeah. on YouTube where she talks about it um she, I think if I remember correctly, she even compared it to the not specifically naming Tony Robbins, but was like, she was so wonderful as opposed to other speakers that I've spoken for recently. Um, but then Dave Hollis's book launch happens. Um, that occurs on March 10th of 2020 is when his book launch, his, his book is, is published and goes out into the world. With Heidi's testimonial after reading the one chapter.
1: Yes. (laughs) All linked. It's all on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, but of course, about four days later is when the world shut down. And so Mm -hmm. he's emotional about it from my recollection. And, you know, we can't can't do the book launch. But again, he doesn't retain or uh, get back his CEO position. The morning show that they were doing, though, did get coverage on Good Morning America, and they decided to do, I think it was in connection with their decision to do the next 90 days, mm-hmm. which the last 90 days is a Rachel Hollis favorite, where from October 1 to the end of the year, you do these five things that she says are going to lead to your, a better life to enter the new year. So their thought process was, we're going to take control of what is otherwise an uncontrollable, scary situation in the pandemic. And they start the next 90 days challenge. Um, What's mind-blowing to me is, again, hindsight being 2020, through this entire time, they are continuing to release Rise Together podcasts. And it is like, thou doth protest too much. It is we're amazing. It's the best we've ever been. I can't believe how great it is. It's so hard, but it's so good. They were having, um, I don't know if you remember this, but they were like having happy birthday, singing happy birthday, to the pandemic every week, making cakes for it with the kids. They were documenting the process. Um, it was like, if you took, if you were to make a book for the first six weeks of the pandemic, when we all thought it was like, two weeks, four, four, four weeks, two months. Like we're going to get out of this soon. It's not going to last for another two years, three years, whatever. Um, it it was as if you took like a, took that six weeks and made a children's book about it. It was like mom and dad have done the best they could. They're even stronger than they were. The families come together. We have movie night. We do. It's like so far out of what actually occurred in my house. It Oh Tim yeah, and I are, <laughs> Tim and I are you know yelling at each other. I'm trying to school Sophia. I open up a business. I mean, it's like the the farthest thing from what was reality in probably everybody's homes. I think the only thing that was relatable to me was um, she was drinking
1: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Is that when she got the rocks tequila? Yes, that's the tequila. And my husband and I had just like learned. Um, that Costco tequila was really good. And Costco has like really good margaritas. So we found ourselves like having margaritas every night at the beginning of the pandemic. And finally I was like, oh, we're hitting this kind of hard. Like, I think we're just coping. Like, but that was the one thing I remember like, Oh, Rachel's, I mean, she's hitting that tequila Seems every happy. night too. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's, happy. It's very relatable. <laughs> A lot of people turn to some various coping mechanisms.
0: mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and it was and- a nice, uh, it was hard when at first, cause there was no delineation in your day. So we'd be like, oh, it's five o'clock. It's time for like our margarita. Like it helped kind of end the work day, start the night with a right. beverage. And so we quickly were like, eh, this is a lot, but I do remember that. Yeah. That was the rock tequila. There was a lot of tequila and alcohol happening as well.
0: The Rise Company, remember, uh, most of their income comes from live events. And so when the PPP loans were made available, which was the Payment Protection Program, um, it was uh, loans that were made available to businesses. And so far as they used at least 75% of it for payroll, it was forgivable. Mm -hmm. And so businesses were getting an influx of cash. Um, that was going to be forgiven. So they got a PPP loan. I don't necessarily fault any business for taking PPP loans out. It was free money given to them by the government.
1: Um, when I looked at the paperwork, it's, I credit whoever, didn't she have that CPA or that CF, whoever her finance VP was like, they, they were in the very first wave. Like they got it. They filed
0: very quickly. They got it. Can I give you it a tip? Quickly. Why? Because I know, because I know the inside and oh yeah, that's right. The loan process. Um, Big businesses. The way PPP loans were given out is because banks who had access to the money were making sure that their best clients were getting taken care of. Got it. And so the people with the access to the money were saying, "Hey, you big business over there, I'll help you. I know a business. I had my." business policy, my business account at a specific bank. I know a very large company who did not have their business account at my specific bank. We'll call it ABC bank. And this very large company said, Hey, ABC bank, we'll come over to you. Can you get me a PPP loan? Mm, Do you know that I was denied because they didn't have enough money for my one person business, but very large company (sighs) got over a million dollars in PPP loans. Right. From this company that they from this bank that they weren't a part of. Anyway, that's what I anticipate probably happened. That's because they got more money off of it.
1: Right. Uh, The bank. It was a much larger because it was almost a million dollars. It was like 900. The salary part was like 700,000 roughly. And then there was like some operational that was like 150. So it got got them pretty close to 900,000. So
0: it was very sizable. um, And you only had to keep the employees employed for, I think it was like eight additional weeks. Eight weeks. I believe that's how much, yeah, it was, it was short.
1: It was very short.
0: Yeah. So it wasn't going, we find out later that she lays off people in, in waves, but um, yeah, she was very public about the fact that she wanted to be the first to market with a virtual conference and began promoting that pretty heavily i'd say late april mid april maybe mm-hmm. and as a part of that promotion she and or her social media team posted on twitter uh and still we rise or and still i rise and that was the context that was it uh you know and still i rise rachel hollis um of course that quote is uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, quote that is very well known. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you don't get like, um, uh, ignorance, feigned ignorance on this. You know who wrote this. Um, and Rachel got a lot of backlash, a lot of backlash. Austin Channing Brown. Um, I always get Channing Tatum, Austin Channing Brown, <laughs> uh, author. Yeah. Um, engaged with that tweet and gave all of the reasons why this was really problematic and wrong. And after that, it's my understanding the tweet was deleted. And then there was like a heart post on her Instagram. It was like, I'm so sorry. Of course I should have credited Dr. Maya Angelou, um, you know, my social media team, which becomes a through line in, the, the balance of the time that we're going to talk about, but you know, my social media team, you know, messed up. And of course I'm a leader, so I have to take responsibility, but it was them. And after that someone was let go, but that led up to rise virtual conference, which happened on May 2nd, which Steph and I both attended. Um, oh, I didn't know you attended. I did. I, I attended. My husband attended. I think I was even dumb enough to, don't oh, say it like worse. that.
1: Don't say it like that. Okay, that's fair.
0: I was naive enough, yes, to purchase two tickets. I think I don't even think I purchased one. I think I may have purchased two. I got the family matching shirts that we all still have that say that say we choose joy. And I, when I say the family, I mean me, my husband, and my daughter. I bought into the brand, guys. I bought in, um, and the first crack I see is a week later, I see one of the most known members of the community, of Rachel's community, OG of Rachel's community post. There's a reason why like a hundred of us didn't attend. And I hope your numbers suffer because we are protesting the fact that you did this, you did not take accountability and you fired somebody who it wasn't their fault. And that was the first crack for me of like something here is not right. Mm-hmm. Something here isn't right. Yeah. How did you think the virtual event went? I just didn't think it was that good. <laughs> it
1: wasn't. It was I horrible. talked about it in the last episode, but yeah, I just didn't think it was that good, but I, I don't really know where I was at the time headspace wise. Cause I don't necessarily, I don't think I knew about the Maya Angelou stuff until later when I think it was the divorce. And then I started Googling and I was like, wait, how did I miss Miss this? this. But when you, um, well, and I think I missed it. I didn't really research it. So her apology seemed okay to me, but I didn't really do any due diligence. I mean, this is kind of the privilege I have as a white woman to not pay attention when things like this happen and I have to recognize that. Cause sometimes I look back and I'm like, how did I miss these things that she did that were so hurtful to other communities? Um, and that was one of them. It's like, I just kept it moving and and that's, it's hard to reconcile, especially given my background and training, but I mean, you can make mistakes and miss those things, but.
0: The other part of it part too of it. is the algorithm. If the algorithm doesn't serve you. Yeah. the, the content, it's hard to know right. that there is an issue. And that's how I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't even see the apology.
1: Cause I'm see, trying to think if it was on her story, but I don't know if I she, posted, she on posted on her story. Her story. Yeah. Um, Cause I uh, usually watched her stories and like the, t- the morning show, but wasn't going to her page to see all her posts. So it would have been the algorithm, but still I don't, don't want to blame the algorithm. I just I really didn't know. Like yeah. I,
0: and it's a, it was my privilege to not know. Right. And same, same. It, and it yeah. was a white woman who pointed out black women's pain to me. I, yeah. that I otherwise did not know. Right. Or and
1: I wasn't did. in that group. I wasn't in made for more. So even when we talked about it last episode, I was like, Oh, I would never join that group. I think cause I was in the rise virtual and that was it. But
0: um, I know that we've got Rachel's journals and that actually happened too. This was a very big milestone for her. I want to make sure we cover. She goes into Target with journals and uh, planners launching on January 1, 2020. And I, I still think I have the draft of my post that was going to go up on Instagram of my husband going to Target and picking those up for me again, bought in. Um, On May 29th, Dave posts about their anniversary. Throwback photo just a year before when they renewed their vows in Ireland. And the next day it's gone. It's gone. And no one quite knew why until later. And it turns out May 31, Rachel said, I'm done. I'm done. He deletes his post, but we don't hear from them again until June. And that, I think, is where we are going to leave you guys with this massive cliffhanger yeah. um, for the next episode, because you guys don't know yes. what's happened after this. Nobody knows. It's not well. No documented. one knows it. It hasn't been covered. No one's talked about it.
1: No one's talked about it. But yeah, so we wanted to do this timeline. We thought it was really important to kind of see what was happening in their lives. What was the truth of their lives and where they were financially, mentally, what activities they were taking in their business and their personal life and how it molded our experience. And so with that, we ask that in our next episode, we're going to cover kind of what happens next And go through that. But we also want to share stories. So I know I've gathered some stories from the subreddit of people who are former fans and those stories. But also, if through this, like this going through this timeline has kind of popped anything in your brain of like, oh, I forgot about that. I didn't piece this together, or you have more information, or you're still deconstructing and you want to share with us, we ask that you email our assistant, Rachel. Her email is Rachel at relatableafpodcast.com. and she will collect your stories and she will do a great job because she is me, but Rachel, right, right. And, uh, or, you know, you could post in the YouTube or comment and send it to us, but the easiest is probably the email to keep it in one location so that we can share it on the next podcast. So just, uh, know that it is to share. Or if you want to email just so we have the information and say, don't share this, that's fine. And we, we appreciate any feedback and stories. It's very helpful as we are on this journey. And that's kind of where we're at today.
0: Anything else for the people? I mean, I, the only thing I want to say is if you've stumbled across this podcast somehow, and you still like Rachel or you still like Dave, or you're a big fan of Heidi, or anybody in this universe, and you want to send us your story too, one thing that we are very open about is we're not coming at anybody to shame them or be critical for the sake of being critical. Um, there are things that we're working through deconstructing in this process that is helpful. Um, but we're always open to discussion always. Like I, I think Steph and I both have a standing invitation. It's never going to happen. But a standing invitation to Rachel or Dave, yeah, um, absolutely, for an open conversation about the things that we're talking about. Because I don't, and I don't think Steph does either. Feel like they've actually addressed the true criticism of their work, um, or the true no. criticism of their background. Instead, it's it's you know the Reddit thread where people you know try to trash me all day long. That's their sole mission. Um, yeah, that's that's Dave quote. That's a Dave quote Dave about the quote, Reddit. Thread. Yeah, um, but. Also, if you are watching this on YouTube, do all, I'm learning this. I'm becoming a YouTube influencer. Yes. Heather's I'm, got her YouTube. <laughs> I've got a YouTube channel. Steph told me how to monetize it. And I'm like ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to retire. Um, so subscribe. Not even close. I Not even close. It. Not even close. But yeah, subscribe. So, so little. So little. Hit the like the button. Bell.
1: Hit the, and the like, like and get notifications. Yes. yes, and then for the podcast, uh, make sure you're following. If you want to be so kind to leave us a review, we might read it on here because that's Absolutely. important to us. Um, that I text Heather and I said, "Look, we got three reviews. It makes me cry. It was very, it's very exciting for us. So yeah, but and this we is a long one. Yeah, we, we ranked I, in charts. That-
0: that to me is so crazy. You guys showed up in such great like numbers that we were able. Like, I don't know that that will ever happen again. But I am so thankful. <laughs> oh, no. We were. It was. It was number two forty nine, and yes, like I'm, out of two fifty, which is fine. We made it on the chart. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. made it on the chart. So. Uh, yeah.
1: So that was really cool. And yeah. So we really appreciate all of you guys reach out to us uh, again, yes. stories at Rachel at relatableafpodcast.com. And we will catch you in the next episode where we will finish this timeline and read your stories.
0: Bye guys. Bye.